I checked out some of the titles in the bookshop um, just this week about the differences between men and women. And we get things like building a better bloke. Why in this age of prosperity are so many men failing in relationships? The Dance of Deception, a guide to truth-telling in women's relationships. How the struggle towards truth is at the centre of women's deepest longings for intimacy. Sperm counts. Oops, that's a different one. That's building a better bloke. Then I've got... Ah, that's the Dance of Deception, truth-telling in women's lives. I'm with stupid... 10,000 years of misunderstanding between the sexes cleared up. Uh, The female brain. Secrets every man should know about women. How to kill your husband. (laughs) Wife in the fast lane. 101 poems to help you understand men. And this one's my favourite. Are men necessary? (laughs) And the list goes on and on and on. And it seems that even um, everywhere in our society, there is a question out there, what is the difference? What is it to be male and female? It is an important question, and it's a passage that the, the, it's raised in the passage that we're looking at today. And it, it seems that for once, when we come to the book of Genesis, we're coming with the right question this time. So this morning, we're looking at the differences between men and women, how we were designed in Genesis how the fall, in other words, sin, has affected that, and then how Jesus, being a Christian, changes that. Now, up front, I want to say 90% of the talk today will be looking at marriage. Now, that's because in the Bible, masculinity and femininity is mainly talked about in the context of marriage, but it's not only for married people. In other words, everything we learn today is more about what it is to be male and what it is to be female than what it is to be married. It's simply that it's looked at in the context of marriage, mostly in the Bible. So um, don't think that because we're looking at a wife, that means it doesn't apply to all women, because most of the character things, and for men, likewise. So let's begin. Point two on your outline. We're going fast, aren't we? The difference between men and women. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone... I will make a helper suitable for him. So at this point in Genesis, the man, Adam, has been created from the dust. We saw that last week. The woman has not yet been created. And before she's created, we see something of her purpose. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And if you're single... um, because you're wanting to be married and can't find someone, or you have been married and you're now not, you'll know that it's not good for a man or woman to be alone. In Genesis 1, we kept hearing, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. But for the first time, now we hear something is not good. It's not good for a man to be alone. He needs a helper. Now, some people don't like the woman being described here as a helper because um, they think perhaps it degrades women. Don't get too hung up on the word helper because helper here is not a negative word. It doesn't carry any sense of the woman being less than the man. We know that because in the rest of the Bible, that word is used of God to us. Okay, so for example, Psalm 121, it's probably a very familiar psalm. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? 
My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, we exist for God and he is more powerful than us, but he can be our help. And here the man needs help. He's alone. It's not good. And the woman has been created to help him. How does she help the man? Let's read on. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now that's interesting because animals can be good helpers, can't they? Uh, especially when you're looking after a garden. But they're not a suitable helper for the man here. So this is not just help to plough the paddock, because a horse can do that. This is not just help to have someone around for a bit of company. A dog can do that. This kind of help is a help that only someone like Adam can give. And we see what kind of help it is in verse 21. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked And they felt no shame. The help here that the woman will be able to give is to be a soulmate for the man. To connect with him at the deepest possible level. In other words, to fix his loneliness, which was the problem. And when Adam sees Eve, he has a pretty extreme response. He writes a poem. That is a big thing for a fellow to write a poem, I think. He's delighted for her. Look at verse 23. The man said... This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I know it doesn't rhyme in English, but in Hebrew, it's a poem. In other words, Adam is excited. She's like me. She's different to me, but she's like me. She's the perfect match. And they're naked in verse 25, but there's no shame at all. There's no secrets from each other. There's nothing that the man has about him that he doesn't want the woman to know. There's nothing that the woman has about her that she doesn't want the man to know. No shame, no secrets, just perfect oneness, which will find its peak in in a sexual relationship, in in the two becoming one flesh. So the woman is the perfect helper, the perfect companion for the man. But as we read on, and we'll see more about this next week, things go terribly wrong. Because rather than helping the man, Eve leads the man into sin. Rather than following the lead of Adam, Eve is deceived by the snake and they both disobey God. And the result of that is this perfect relationship is changed. Have a look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
I think that no shame now has gone. Verse 16, there's more consequences. To the woman, he said, I'll greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The two things central to being a woman now, which are being a mum and being loved by a husband, those two things are affected directly by God's punishment. Childbearing will bring pain and her relationship with her husband will bring pain. And although we may not like being single, we may desperately desire to be married, there are some advantages of being single, aren't there? The curse of the pain of childbearing, the curse of having pain from your husband, they're not there. And so Eve, instead of being loved by her husband, she will be ruled by her husband, is the word in verse 16. Imagine the shame of the woman back in verse 12 when God comes to Adam and says to Adam, Adam, why did you eat from the tree? And Adam points to the woman and says, this woman who you put here with me, she did it. The woman who was created to be his helper has become his enemy. He's now blaming her. And so she now will be desiring a perfect relationship with her husband that she'll never find. Instead, she will find a husband who in his sin wants to rule her and control her and keep his distance. In other words, instead of companionship, there'll be competition between the man and the woman. They'll be at each other. And that very word for desire, where it says your desire will be for your husband, that comes up in chapter 4, the very next chapter, and it's used of Cain after Cain kills Abel, where it says sin desires Cain. In other words, sin wants to master Cain, wants to control him, but Cain must rule over it. And they're the same two words that are used here. The women will now try to control her husband, but um, he will rule over her. Now, as we read on in the Bible, sadly, that is how it continues. We're going to get to the man in a moment, so don't worry, men. We'll stick the boot into you in a moment. But the temptation for women is to be contentious and to be quarrelling, especially with their husband, rather than following his lead. And so in Proverbs, we find things like a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. See, quarrelling, arguing, nagging, that is the fallen woman's way of trying to control her husband. Skip over to the New Testament, and it's no surprise then that as followers of Jesus, the Bible encourages women not to be like that. So, for example, turn with me, and we'll spend a bit of time here, in 1 Peter 3. It's a great passage about what it is to be a woman as a follower of Jesus. 1 Peter's just towards the end of the New Testament. If you hit Revelation, you've got too far. If you're at Hebrews, you haven't gone far enough. 1 Peter, chapter 3. This is written to Christian women who um, 
have the spirit of God in them and can live a life different to what we've seen um, because of sin. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and give not, do not give way to fear. Gentle and quiet spirit, it's the opposite of quarrelling. Being a woman is about trusting God, and if you're married, submitting to your husband, even if he's a buffhead like Abraham and does something stupid. Because if any woman had a reason to complain about her husband's stupidity and nag, it was Sarah. If you go back and read Genesis, Abraham was being an absolute goose. He basically got his wife Sarah to lie and pretend to be his sister, and, but she goes along with it in submission to him. And rather than ridicule her, the Bible holds her up as a godly example. Why? Because rather than quarrel, she was quiet and gentle and followed her husband's lead. And verse 1 here says, that kind of behaviour is more likely to win over your husband than any amount of arguing. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. So women are made to be beautiful, to be loved and adored by their husbands. That's what they most desire. True beauty is to be godly, content, gentle spirit before God. And verse 4 says that is of great worth in God's sight. That's what it is to be truly woman. What about men? Let's go back to Genesis 2 and have a look at how men are created with a different role. So back to Genesis 2. Adam is the, the leader, the one with responsibility. He is made first, and he is given the responsibility to care for the garden. Before Eve is even created, Adam is given the command to care for the garden and told what they can and can't eat. So verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. But I think the fact that the man has final responsibility is seen most clearly after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God. Because they both disobeyed God, and even though it's Eve who sins first, God comes to Adam. The buck stops with Adam. Verse 9 of chapter 3. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said to the man, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Adam is the one God comes to. He's the leader. He was the one who was given the command. And when God comes to the man, he tries to shift the blame. He tries to blame the woman. But ultimately, the responsibility is his. And so ultimately, the the biggest curse of death comes because of the man's disobedience, not the woman's. And so the New Testament picks that up, doesn't it? As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. And we see that right back here in Genesis. Look at the curse, the the punishment that is given to Adam. Verse 17 of chapter 3. To Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So Adam, like Eve, is judged in a way that goes to the core of who he is. This time the core of who he is is to work the ground, and his work will be frustrated. I think a man's greatest fear is that he'll be a failure, that when he does the best that he can, it won't be enough. And here's why. Because in this world, when he gives his best, it won't be enough. His work will be frustrated. The very thing that men are made for, to to work, to lead, to have an impact, they'll be frustrated. And we even see that in the way that men will relate to women. Because after this terrible event where Adam and Eve disobey God, instead of now loving their wives, men will rule over them. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I'll greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. That is part of the punishment of God. Rather than always loving his wife, Adam will now seek to rule her. Maybe because now there's mistrust of her. Maybe it's because he's failed and he blames her for it. Whatever the the reason, Adam will now use his strength to try and force his will on his wife. And as we read on in the Bible, that becomes the sin of men. The desire for power and control. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, we see the first murder done by a man. As we read on in Genesis, we see power struggles. We see men raping women. We see men cheating on their wives. Men failing to love their wives. Instead, using them and ruling over them harshly. And so it's no surprise, is it, when we get to the New Testament, for men who have been forgiven by Jesus, they are commanded to love and serve their wives, not rule over them. Don't look these up. I'll just read a few of them out. You might want to write them down and look them up later. Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, 
In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. I take that that's a, that's a um, reference to physical strength. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Ephesians 5.25, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So men who are followers of Jesus are commanded to love and serve their wives like Jesus loved and served us. And what did Jesus do? Well, he is held up as the ultimate example for men to follow. He loved us so much that he gave his life for his people to rescue us from sin. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A bit over 10 years ago, there was a Sydney couple, um, Debbie and John. They were recently married. They were on their honeymoon. They were up at Byron Bay, and they were diving. And while they were out diving, a five-metre great white shark came along and went for Debbie, the new wife. Her husband instinctively pushed her out of the way, saved her life, but the shark took him and killed him. And this is what Debbie said at the funeral. He took his own life for me. He was a hero and a good husband. I loved him dearly. Now that is what it means to be a man, to sacrifice your life for a woman, to protect her. That is what Jesus did for us who follow him. He took our place. He gave his life. He took God's judgment instead of us. And that is the example that men are to follow, especially husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Fellows, you are responsible for how you treat other women, especially your wife. And just like God came to Adam in the garden, God will come to you and you will need to give an account, not just for how you treat your wife, but how you treat your whole family. Men... You are the ones who will be accountable to God for the spiritual welfare of your family. So in Ephesians 5, we get this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's a command given to dads. And if you're not bringing up your children to know Jesus, don't leave it to your wife. It's your job, and if it's not happening, it's your fault. It won't do just to point the finger at your wife like Adam did and say, this woman you put here with me, she didn't read the Bible with our children. If you're married, you are the spiritual leader of your family. It's your responsibility. You need to be bringing your children up in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. And fellas, if you are, good on you. Doesn't mean the husband has to be the one who's reading the Bible or praying, but he needs to be the one that's making sure that it's happening. Now, that is the difference between men and women according to how God has made us back in Genesis 1. Men are made to lead and have responsibility. Women are made to help as a companion to love. We see it most clearly in marriage where men are to love by leading and Women are to help by submitting 
and encouraging their husbands. Can I just add there while we're talking about marriage, it's, it's got nothing to do with personality or how outgoing you are. A shy man with God's strength can be a leader and an outgoing strong woman who's got really good gifts and is better at finances and so on, she can follow a man and they can work out what they do together and who does what. But it's really about where the buck stops and who has final responsibility, especially spiritually, for the family. And of course, it's not just for married people, is it? All men are to use their strength to serve women. And all women are to cultivate in themselves not just outward looks, but a quiet heart, real beauty that follows God. So we can all work on being real men and real women. And we can all work on honouring and respecting the opposite sex instead of trying to compete with them. And I think this is a great opportunity to be different to the world where women put men down and men put women down. Because we can respect masculinity, we can respect femininity, we can celebrate them as a gift from God. Just want to end with Genesis 1. We've seen how men and women are different. Let's very briefly look at why they're different. The answer to to that, we need to go all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 26, where male and female are first mentioned. Genesis 1, 26 God said, let us make man in our image, etc. Verse 27. So God, sorry, still pages flipping. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The reason we have gender, the reason we have male and female and we're different is because we are in God's image, male and female. Not that God is male and female, but men and women created with the potential to love each other in a deep and intimate way show us something about what God himself is like. Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three distinct persons, are perfectly loving and complete each other. And man and women, together as they were intended, are in his image. They mirror that. Man alone is not in God's image. Woman alone is not in God's image. Together, relating, we are in God's image. So gender difference is good. Not just because after God made man, he said it's not good to be alone, and then when he's made them both, it's very good. Not just because it's the way that God made us. Gender difference is good because having gender is part of being in the image of God. We best reflect God's image when we live as male or as female. Now, in our society, being a man or a woman is hard. And because of sin, being a man or a woman is hard. And so, thankfully, when we make a mess of it, when we rule over our wives or when we fail to love and submit to our husbands as followers of Jesus, we are forgiven. And we get a fresh start every time. And what's more, Jesus has set us free from the slavery to sin. So as Christians, we can truly love as men. We can truly live as a woman. Men can be loving 
and serving. Women can submit with a quiet and gentle heart. That's what it means to be male. That's what it means to be female. And that's what it means to follow Jesus as men and women. Let's pray. Father, there is so much we just hear um, around us about men and women. Is there a difference? Should there be a difference? What is the difference? What is not the difference? Thank you that your word speaks very clearly to us about this. And it is hard because we live in a fallen world where in our sin we try and compete. And in our marriages we compete. And with other men and women we compete. Father, please forgive us for the things that we've done to our wives or husbands or to other men or women that have hurt them and that have not been loving. Father, thank you that so clearly you paint what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and we pray that you'd help each one of us to see how we might work that out in our own lives. This week we pray that women would be able to cultivate a godly, quiet, gentle spirit that fears you and is loving and tender towards people around them. Wives would be able to submit to their husbands and love them. And we pray for us men that we would not seek to rule or to be harsh or to compete, but that like Jesus we would humble ourselves and use our strength to serve and to love. And we pray these things so that Jesus might be honoured. Amen.